Good day, Stu. We find ourselves here in the Crystal Gondola. Good day, Des. Um, lovely day. It's been a while since we've uh, we've seen one another, so it's good to have you back. Yeah, nice to see you, pal. And you know why? Why it's a, a good day to see you? Why is it a good day to see me? It's your birthday today, Stu. It's my birthday. Yes. Cinco de freaking Mayo. <laughs> you know, it's funny when we were kids, and you know, your birthday and and what have you was you know May fifth and all that. Um, I knew nothing of Cinco de Mayo until we were young adults. Uh, Same here. Right? I, I was, um, I was actually working at Allergan going to California and of course them being, you know, them being Californians close to the border. Um, it was a group down there that found out it was my birthday and said, oh, we'll do a big Cinco de Mayo party. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, what, what's Cinco de Mayo? So, and they couldn't believe, and, and I'm, I'm seriously in my 30s, and they, they couldn't believe I didn't know what Cinco de Mayo is. But <laughs> if we reflect on a moment growing up in St. Albert, and I, I don't remember the Mexican population being, you know, thriving. It might be nowadays, but um, the, the only touch of Mexican that we got was when you and I went to taco time. <laughs> That's right, which, which didn't show up uh, until uh, our eighth grade. There you go. And, you know, we've been big fans ever since, of course, right? The, that was our first introduction into, into hot sauce. Was, uh, yeah, 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 and you and I even back then could dial it up, right? We weren't, uh, we weren't, we weren't scared of a little, uh, a little habanero. Well, it wasn't a habanero in that sauce; it no, was, it was tame. But uh, you know, we liked it so so much, we just poured more on. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we're, those, we're, those were the days. Pretty tough. Anyway, thanks for the uh, the birthday wishes. Um, I do I do want to say to our listeners, though, you know, being responsible, don't don't feel the need to send gifts to. Um, well, I'll post the address later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, um, I've always kind of wanted to do, you know, kind of these uh, things that happen in our childhood that don't happen today, right? And yeah. uh, I, I was thinking about uh, midweek, you know, the shows that were on in the 70s and, and so forth. And, you know, the, the, the half-hour sitcoms, there usually be two, three, four of them in a row and and uh, quite often the family gets gets around the TV, and you, here's here's one thing you don't hear these days. Hey, warm up the TV. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. That, that that is fair. Well, um, for and, some of you folks that uh, you know don't know what we're talking about, uh, back in the late '60s, early '70s, uh, some TVs were were tube TVs. And it took a while to get the picture going. <laughs> it, it sure did. It sure did. And if you didn't have the vice grips on just right, you couldn't change the channel either. So, <laughs> yeah, no, they, isn't that the truth? Um, well, and, and, and nowadays, I mean, the, the, the young folks don't know what it's like to wait around, you know, a week for the next episode, right? I mean, Netflix and Amazon and everybody, you know, they download the whole season on, on you know, one fell swoop. And if you feel like binging, yeah. binging meant something totally different when I was a lad. But um, <laughs> exactly. if you feel like binging, you can watch, you know, 10 episodes in, in a night or two. Um, you don't have to wait for Tuesday at 7 for the next Happy Days episode. And that was a quality one, that one, eh? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Stu, yes, um, go ahead. No, I was I was just, you know, throwing props to Happy Days, that's all. You know, uh, I saw something the other day, on, you know, now that you mentioned Happy Days, uh, there was a photo of John Lennon and uh, young son there. Um, Julian? Julian. Young Julian, It you know, obviously is in the days of uh, 
of uh, happy days, so uh, mid-70s or what have you. And little Julian was, you know, about uh, 9 or 10 years old, and they were on the set because he was a big fan. And, uh, yeah, so it was interesting to see, a, a, you know, a photo of uh, John Lennon with uh, young Julian with, uh, you know, Potsy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. folks, right? Yeah. Hey, um, I've checked my mailbox every day this week, and um, I didn't get an invite, so it doesn't look like I'm going to the coronation on... Uh, on I guess it's I guess it's tonight for God's sakes. Coronation's tomorrow morning. Oh, is that right? Which is our tonight, right? Um, we're yeah. talking we're talking the royal family. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Did I mean? Yeah. No, I I didn't get an invite either. Are you going to get up early and watch it? It's um, I think it's three a.m. Eastern time. Yeah, no, I think uh, I'm going to do a Marty Robbins on that. You know, <laughs> yeah, the old El Paso. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm getting up, man. I'm going to make myself some. Uh, some English breakfast. I don't know Earl Grey. I don't know what the coronation tea is. You're you're the British guy. No, what, it's, what should uh, I make? It's Yorkshire Gold, man. Yorkshire Gold. Gold. Yeah. I don't have any of that. I'll get you some. You know, Jen's down to her last thirty herbal teas, and I don't. Right. I don't think Yorkshire Gold is in there. No. Um. You know, when you're talking to a Brit, you know the the herbal tea thing. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't fly. No. Why would it? Yeah. Yeah. No caffeine. It's probably yeah. No. So I I am gonna. Uh, I'm going to do the old El Paso as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, mostly just because I'm I'm a little bit put out that I wasn't invited. And I and I've I've looked at the list of Canadians going. It's 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 a long one. Um Any notables? Well, Justin's going to be there and and Ooh. and ju- ju- Justin? Oh, Justin. Right. We'll, yeah. we'll maybe talk about him a bit later. I, I see um Sophie's going, which is great. Um they're going to be joined by a bevy of indigenous leaders. Um, from uh, the First Nations National Chief, Roseanne Archibald, uh, president of the Inuit uh, Teparit. Hey, man, I'm sorry if I, if, I, if I screw up your last name. Kanatami Natan Obed. He could use a name or two. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. You can't, you, how does anybody get by with four names these days? Um, oh, but this is a good one. Uh, I can actually wrap my, my mind around this one, Des. President of the Métis National Council, Cassidy Caron. That's actually a pretty cool name. Might be one of your cousins. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cassidy Caron. Where have I heard that name before? I like it already. Mm, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, that's where I've heard it. It's probably a different <laughs> Cassidy Caron. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey, uh, we should probably tell the folks um, this is, uh, this. what episode is this, buddy? Nine or ten? Uh, this would be, this would be nine. Nine. So episode nine, and what a um, body of work, eh? Oh my God! You know, when we started this, I guess not quite a year ago. You know, who who would have thought that we would have kicked out uh, eight episodes, had some amazing guests? Um, the listenership is is frankly, I, I think it's off the charts, quite honestly. Yeah, we, we're we, we're just over one hundred and sixty thousand. Yeah, and our sponsors now are, um, I mean, they're lining up. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the sponsors maybe a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but who who would have thought, eh? Two, two, two young lads. Well, okay, maybe not so young anymore. Two two lads from St. Albert. That's, that's our French, uh, for our French listeners. That's right. Um, and here we are. We're, you know, killing it on a podcast, talking about stuff people want to hear about. Um, yeah, we're well, going to touch on a, a number of uh, high-quality uh, uh, subjects, a uh, few events, what do you want to talk about? We talked about the coronation. Neither of us are going. So have you heard a little bit about, um, you know, they're just trying to ban more fossil fuels all over the place? Have you, have you heard, uh, I think, the city of New York or the maybe the state of New York is uh, 
after 2024 no more natural gas appliances in, in the uh, in the in the house or in the in the in the uh, residence so no more natural gas heaters water tanks and stoves really that 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 that's actually that so that must be a local government policy yeah well you know vancouver did it uh, the the province of the, of Quebec out out in the future, like in, in the next few years, it, they're they're trying. I'm I'm just not sure how you know because there's there's no really al- real alternatives sure. to to living in um, you know Arctic conditions like we do in Canada in most of Canada, um, and taking away the most efficient and low emission natural gas being right, low emission, high efficiency, high density uh, energy. Mm-hmm. And taking it away in a, in a in a country that will just freeze to death without it, and the alternative right now they're they're, they're saying it's electric, whether it's uh, heat pumps or baseboard heaters or anything electric. Our North American grid, and I'll include the U.S. in this, we have barely the grid support to handle what we ask of it today, and they want. You know, EVs plugged in and and heating via electricity. I mean, this is again another typical example of of absolute poor management, just ad hoc policy without any pre thought. And, and what, why is it? And you know, we we had a bit of a conversation with Jaeger about this, as well as you know Dan McTeague when he was on. But but why is it the 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 populace doesn't ask the question, what is the alternative? I mean, it, it, if you follow the vein, simply, hey, we're, we're we're all about saving the environment, and we think, you know, eliminating fossil fuel usage is is the right way to go. Even if you just follow that, which is um, myopic, you still should ask the question: Okay, what am I going to replace it with? In this case, you know, are you going you're going to replace your gas stove with a you know a, 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 an electric stove, right? And your bills are going to go up as a consequence of that. You're going to use more energy. But even, Des, to the point of, do people not wonder where the source of that energy well, is? You know, you, you know whether you, it's coal or nuclear or, right. hi, or you know, hydro. Well, you made a good point, you know, referring back to our, our previous episode with, uh, with David Yager, and he, he touches on that uh, very well, that, you know, when you, you, you plug the thing into your wall and you just, uh, power's there. Nobody thinks about... The, the destination it came from, the source it came from. Um, so when you ask that question, um, I, I think, you know, we're lazy these days, right? In, in, in information. Intellectually so lazy. Better nomenclature, for sure. There's, a, there's a, a belief, I believe, that there is a, uh, a little bit of authority in some of these uh, of the equal brigade. That mm-hmm. that their their points that they're making about getting rid of fossil fuels and all of these... Uh, nonsensical policies that get us into the positions we're in. I think there's maybe a belief that they've thought this stuff out. I think you're right. And clearly, um, you know, you ask the question, well, doesn't anybody think, you know, where the source of that is coming? What, what, what alternative source can provide that elect- electricity? Uh, I think there is just a, a massive uh, um, confidence in these folks that they've well thought it out, and they haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the density of energy is a big deal in in you know and I mean if you look at the scale of uh, of what we use for energy you know the most dense 
energy is obviously nuclear by miles and acres, and then it 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 mm-hmm. flutters off, you know, natural gas, oil, coal, and then way at the other end is solar and wind. Okay, which is all weather dependent, and, and everybody needs to understand that that they they'll wind and solar will never be anything other than a fringe contributor. Yeah, man. Look, I, I think you've said it before. You know, they're sort of dependent on the sun shining and the wind blowing, right? Which yes you know, is is not guaranteed if anybody follows the weather. Anyway, that's my little uh, you know. Yeah, but it's 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 a. I mean, it's a great conversation, and and I know we've we've got to talk energy again, and we certainly have to get a you know uh, an eco brigader on here just to just to have a bit of a uh, I guess a counter perspective or another view. Uh, and I don't know if I shared this on on the podcast before, but I know I've shared it with you riding up the chairlift this winter, and I was going up with a an electrician who had just put in a a new gas station somewhere between here and and Penticton, and they were talking about. Uh, it having two supercharging, rapid charging stations for the EVs. And he said, um, do you know that those two stations draw more energy than the rest of the gas station, including pumps, the main shop, and the car wash combined? Like, where does that energy, to your point, is? It, there has to be a source for that energy. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to have a conversation with you know, the eco-friendly, we'll call them today, um, to, to better understand how all these EVs are, are really helping the environment. Yeah. Well, you know, you make a point, and I'd like to address this uh, a little bit. Uh, you say, where does it come from? And, and it's, it's important to know, you know, where does our power come from? So you and I are here in BC. BC is blessed with um, hydro, hydro, right? So over 90% of BC's uh, power comes from hydroelectricity, which when hydro is producing, it's producing no CO2 emissions. Okay. Wonderful. Um, I'm just going to throw in a little sidecar there that even the eco brigade doesn't like hydro because you flood a valley mm-hmm. and we've got, we've got serious problems with that, even though it is a 50, 75 year facility providing CO2 free electricity it, it, sure. it, it's really a, a, a tremendous uh, accomplishment uh, in, in providing electricity uh, from, because we have the landscape, we have the water, something like a Site C, which is being built up in uh, uh, northeastern BC right now, is still suffering lawsuits and what have you to shut it down, even at the, the, the most advanced phase of construction it is right now. I mean, there's countries in Africa that would love the landscape and the opportunities for a hydro dam. Some mm-hmm. countries just, they don't have the water, they don't have the topography to be able to do a hydro dam. Canada probably has hundreds of opportunities, landscape, water, all of, to, to build some kind of a small, medium, or, lar- or large size dam. And uh, a bill called C-69 that Trudeau was uh, absolutely behind will make sure that nothing like that will be built again because there's just there will be too much in front of it for opposition uh, on the on the regulatory process side. Uh, another site C dam will never be built in Canada as long as C sixty nine is in play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a, isn't that a bit of a shame? You know, there's countries that that are laughing at us. Oh sure, from the outside, thinking the 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 resource abundance that we have here in Canada, and we're stifling it. Totally right. 
you know, just to your point on hydro, I mean, abundant, so clean. So if you give me thirty more seconds here, so if you move if you move west from B or east from BC, you go to Alberta. So the abundance there is natural gas, coal, oil, what have you, and Alberta has had a, um, uh, you know, basically a, a coal based. I'm talking majority, not all of it, right? But historically, it's been coal based source, and over the past uh, six seven years, there's been a slow transition. Uh, of natural, basically co- closing down the coal, moving to natural gas. So in Alberta, the predominance of, of electricity, the source is natural gas, which is a, it, the cleanest of all fo- fossil fuel in emission burning. You move uh, to, to Saskatch- Saskatchewan, and they have a tremendous amount of lignit coal. Lignit coal, if, you know, if you want to talk about uh, a clean coal and a non-clean coal in the coal world. There is met coal, which is coal that is burns very, very hot. They use that to 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 make steel to attain very high temperatures. And then you have other grades of coal all the way down, like thermal coal is used for like Alberta used to use for 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 our uh, electricity purposes. And then lignite coal is a very dirty coal. It's a lower grade coal. And you know that's the lignite stuff that you you want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's uh, it's emissions intensive. Right now, there's a ton of it in Germany, and they've they've actually because of their problems, they've had to move to to some coal uh, uh, power. And you know they they've shut down their last of three nuclear, fully fine operating nuclear facilities in the last two months. Their last three, while they just escaped a energy crisis. And now they're shifting to lignite coal, which they have indigenous to their their uh, resources there. So what what I'm getting, and of course, and then you move to Quebec. Quebec is very similar to BC, lots of uh, hydro, so so forth. Uh, in Ontario, we they've got a tremendous amount of nuclear, and they've uh, you know unfortunately they uh, they shut down a lot of natural gas fired. Uh, electricity. So we have this balance of different type of sources right across Canada. So when you ask the question, we're charging up the EV here. What's the source of that uh, mm-hmm. of that electricity? Well, these are some of the sources across Canada. Some of them are very emission-free, and some of them are very, very emission-intense. The idea would be to move to something that is, you know, emission-light. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find that in natural gas. You find emission less in hydro and nuclear. These are the things that we should be moving towards. You often quote Des um, sort of transmission supply capacity and, and you know, I, I think most of our listeners wouldn't be as close to this information as you are. I'm, I'm certainly not, um, at least not prior to you bringing it to my attention. But, you know, just in the, in the, in the province of Ontario, the big province, um, in terms of where Ontarians are getting their their supply of energy, to your to your point, nuclear is thirty four, gas and oil is twenty seven, hydro is twenty four, uh, wind is thirteen percent, solar is one percent, and biofuel is is less than one percent. Mm. So this is Ontario. You're, you're this reading is just Ontario. Yeah. yeah, just Ontario. So I mean, honestly, probably more of a mix than than other provinces, particularly BC. If ninety percent of BC's energy is hydro, mm. um, but again, in 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 order to um, fill the needs of our population, um, 
you can tell by what I just read that that those needs are not going to be supplied by wind, solar, or biofuel. Well, correct. And I, I think, you know, what, what you just um, exposed there is going forward, society, you know, uh, societies like uh, North America, Europe, and what have you, we're, we're going to need all types of energy. Getting, you know, displacing things like lig- lignite coal and and thermal coal and what have you for better opportunities like uh, natural gas or nuclear or what have you. These are the directions we need to go. To say that we got to go all renewables, which is really solar solar and wind, you, you talk about uh, biofuel, you know, let's, let, let's understand what, what that consists of, and there's mm-hmm. quite a bit of it, is burning biomass. And included in that biomass is a whole bunch of substances. And a lot of it is 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 wood burning, right? I mean, it's all waste waste wood and and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, that is a very very uh, CO two and particulate matter intense emission. So that that should not even be in the mix if we're trying to reduce, you know, particulate matter and CO two and uh, in, in emissions. That shouldn't even be in the mix. Well, and, and at one percent, you don't have to worry. Or less than one percent, we probably don't have to talk about it for another ten years on our podcast, unless somebody is saying that biofuel is going to be the source of energy for, you know, this this uh, this clean transition, mm-hmm. transition to clean energy. So, all right, brother. Well, that's um. Well, we solved that problem. No, no. I'm. You know what? What I, else I think, you want to talk about? I, I think just just on the energy. I mean, you and I are. You know, almost every podcast we're going to touch on. On energy, just as a function of where we are and and and, and who we are, but um, but I do think you know, for a future guest, we, we I'd I'd love to get you know an an eco friendly individual on to, to to have a bit of a conversation. And you and I have talked about it before. I'd I'd love to have an EV uh, electric vehicle conversation um, because of regulations and legislation that's being, you know, forced upon us a little bit like your comment about the New York, you know, not having, you know, gas appliances anymore. Um, it's one thing to say, let's do it. It's quite another to have an alternative, you know, unless they're all, you know, setting up little fire pits in their, in their houses and apartments in New York because they can't get a, a, um, you know, a, a gas stove, um, which the, the whole, the whole, other part of that conversation is, uh, and we're going to talk about the notion of, of you know, this being an, uh, an industry or corporately unfriendly um, country right now. But when you make those arbitrary decisions, what does it say to the, you know, to, to the corporations and organizations that are making these, um, these appliances and employing thousands of, of, uh, of workers like GE, for example? Mm-hmm. The folks that are you know, advocates of this kind of, you know, mandating style uh, policy, um, we'll just say everybody will adapt. And, and you know, <laughs> you know, if they're making a, you know, a, a natural gas uh, a stove, they'll, they'll make an electric, electric one. Um, sure, sure. But I mean, y- you know, what gets me is the, the policy and the mandating that are taking us places where there all, there are no alternatives. And of course, making policy, you know, we talk about C69 just here a, a moment ago. Canada is rife with with new Trudeau policies since 2015 that have uh, uh, basically made the Canadian landscape for free enterprise uh, to just vacate. Mm-hmm. You know, he's basically engineering Canada's escape from prosperity. 
you know, we talked about that uh, here before yeah. going on mic, is uh, one policy after another is uh, making it so difficult to get a major project done. We're, we're now list, listed in the OECD countries way at the, the very, very last on what it takes to get a major project. Now, let me tell you something. You know, it's private investment, whether it's it's investment inside of Canada or from from outside of Canada. Are they willing to invest here where we are abundant of uh, of our resources, whether it's oil and gas or mining or what have you? But what we do need going forward here in in spades is resources. Uh, This whole energy transition, people just don't understand the mining effort behind trying to get EVs in the hands of, let's say, 20 or 25% of the driving public in the world. They have no idea of the mining effort Mm -hmm. to get there. You know, just to give you a little bit of a a scratch on that is today's production of the battery-grade materials like nickel, lithium, cobalt, uh, copper, these kinds of things, Today's production would only be able to replace the cars that are on the road in the UK. So if we talk about, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting uh, statistic, but the fact of the matter is, is that these battery-grade materials that we need to, to uh, gloss over the globe with EVs, people just don't understand the mining effort behind it. And the fact is, is that these same eco-brigade folks are against mining, <laughs> right? And and the it's mine, a bit of a problem. Yeah, and the mining effort requires the burning of a fossil fuel. You just can't get the horsepower to mine tons of ore uh, without employing, uh, you know, bur- burning diesel to get that uh, to get that power. And so this transition actually is g- going to require a a bump actually in in emissions to get us over that. But in the end, you got to look at the engineering of this, and and you got to remember also is that mining has been around for thousands of years, and all of the most, the, all of the cherry picked, uh, high grade opportunities have already been mined, and mm-hmm. I, I hope people mm-hmm. can understand that. So, if you pull a ton of ore out of the out of the ground and 3% is copper and the next deposit is a little less grade than that let's say it's 2% you got to move basically way more ore to get a, you know the, the same amount of uh, mm-hmm. uh, ore or uh, copper out of that so if you look at the mining effort it's only going to get larger because of all the higher grades have already been picked over. You know, mining didn't start in 1950. It started a few thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. And all the good stuff has been picked over. So the, the mining intensity to get where the eco-brigade says they need us to be, I don't think people have, have the understanding where it's going to be. So my, my thoughts on, on EVs is that I think we're going to see the cars that are going to be on the road in 10 and 20 and 50 years from now are going to be EVs and many other things, uh, things like uh, fuel cells. Mm-hmm. I think right now the big answer is hybrids. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I think they're reasonable from an alternative standpoint. I think they, 
you know, are obviously affordable by comparison to most EVs. Well, the battery is 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 way smaller. You do have a combustion engine, but they're working in tandem, and you don't have what what's keeping. Uh, there's been some new new polls out about you know who would buy a uh, an EV and what have you, and who wouldn't and mm-hmm. why. And range and anxiety is the biggest issue. The next big biggest issue is, of course, plugging these things in. Where are you gonna, you know, uh, you know, you and I live in a house. We have a garage. You can install one there. That's that's no big deal for us. Mm-hmm. But not everybody lives with a garage. They are parking their, uh, their units out on the street. Where are the the overnight plugins going to be when people are out in a you know a distant parking lot from their unit or out on the street? You know, uh, this is infrastructure that people really need to think about. And, and it, it ain't coming by next Friday. Uh, so, so I think the fleet of, of consumer vehicles going forward are going to be a combination of many things. And the, the internal combustion engine is, I think, still going to be a part of it, whether it's in a hybrid form or whatever. But a, hy- a hybrid takes away all that rain, range anxiety. You can fill up and you can go from here to you know, Calgary or what have you, and not worry about range, not worry about being able to continue your journey uh, in, in due time. Yeah, I had a buddy uh, conversation with a friend earlier this week who uh, one of his t- two or three vehicles is a Chevy Volt, and he was driving back from Montreal to Toronto when we were having our our chat, and um, I asked him if he's in the Volt, and he goes, no, 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 I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't risk taking that to, to Montreal, right? Now, risk. I'm sure, I'm sure he could find a charging station and take the time to charge it, et cetera. But, you know, his his alternative or option two is, no, I'm just going to take the ICE engine, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't worry about anything. So, um, yeah, man, that's that's the real deal. But back to my my earlier comment, I, th- I think we got to have a, uh, a a full episode on, on energy and its relationship to EVs. And even in that, um, the recent poll that you you suggested, which I found very interesting, you know, the vast majority of people, when they have other things to worry about, like paying for groceries and, and their mortgage at a, you know, 7% interest rates, don't think so much about their EVs anymore or the need to go get an electronic vehicle. Less than 10% of Canadians, I think in the, in the, in the uh, article you sent me, Des, less than 10% of Canadians even want an EV at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had this conversation with many and, you know, I've, I've asked the question, you people are, you got to ask them, do you want one? You know, there, there's these mandates that it's, you know, 30 and 50 or, or you know, in, in California, they're saying that, you know, all vehicles sold, uh, you know, in a date that's not too far in the distant future has to be an EV. It doesn't say it has to be an EV or a fuel cell vehicle or anything. Or, I mean, they do say no emission, but I mean, they're really aiming at this EV thing. Right, right, right. And at the same time, California's grid is incapable of the Providing high energy. demands on today's profile of, of, of what's being plugged in. I mean, some of their alerts say when, when, they, when they know they're, sure. they're, they're coming up to uh, full, full grid capacity, they actually put out the alert and say, if you've got an EV, do not plug it in. Totally. And they're doing, um, you know, and they have been for the last decade been doing rolling blackouts, and there's a variety of reasons for that. But, but one of them is they don't have capacity. And Des, in 2021, according to the stats I'm looking at, the EV percentage of cars on the road, or the percentage of cars on the road that are EVs in California, was 3.85 percent. In California, California. See, I would have thought it would have been a touch bigger than that, but uh, it's it's still a weak number. 
uh, considering that you've got perfect climate, uh, you know, these, these are folks that, that don't have to worry about their, their batteries uh, performing poorly, you know, in minus 15 or minus 25. And, and Des, that was the other point when I was talking to my buddy is that his EV range in the winter in Toronto, he doesn't live in Edmonton or, or Calgary, um, he loses a third of his range in the winter. Oh, yes. You know, I was chatting uh, online with, with uh, some folks, uh, you know, about a number of things, but one of the things came up about uh, about this exact thing. Somebody was saying they were, they didn't, or they're not getting the performance that was uh, indicated by the manufacturer. And the manufacturer, in this case, it was, it was a Volvo EV product, and they continued to say, well, we back all our... Uh, range estimates and so forth, and and of course, just like anything, even with EPA and so forth, um, you know, with with gas mileage and and you know, kilo- or, uh, liters per hundred kilometers and so forth, all of that is is performed under the most perfect of standards. And what people have to understand is that you know they're buying this saying, well, I think I can get you know three hundred forty kilometers mm-hmm. uh, to to a charge out of this. The thing is, is that no Canadian behind the wheel day-to-day drives in those perfect conditions. Your colleague or, or whatever said uh, you know, 30, 30% uh, reduction. reduction. I mean, this is big. You know, if you're talking a three or 350-kilometer uh, range that's cut by 30%, that makes a big difference on, on how you plan your trips. Well, and, and he was going on because he knows a little something about EVs. Um, that apparently, you know, the new Ford pickup, the 150, the Lightning, that, um, you know, you try pulling a trailer with that or a boat or something, your range gets cut by two-thirds. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're, we're, we're circling the same conversation. You know, the, the EV thing, I think, is so interesting because it's so contemporary. The media is all over it, as are our governments at every level, right? Provincial, federal, local. Um, I think we need to have a conversation. I'd really lo- I mean, I myself would like to learn more. But I really want to educate our listeners as well, you know. Well, I'd like to do that. We're going to find that right person that we can get in here that, that you know, isn't going to agree with everything we say, uh, even though we're looking at data, and, mm-hmm. and we're always going to look at the data. But we do need to flesh this out. I think people need to understand that EVs on the road uh, at some point being 100% of uh, the content is just, it, it, it's, it's folly. And policy, un- unfortunately, is being... Uh, developed and, and passed along the lines uh, of folly. And, and, you know, people need to think about, you know, where our governments are taking us. And not only that, they're subsidizing these policies sure. that really aren't going to come to fruition. They're folly. Like our guy, our, our Justin buddy, uh, just gave uh, a $13 billion commitment to a battery factory uh, that, for VW, yep. uh, Volkswagen. I'll go on record. This will be a massive boondoggle because by the time Sprocket and the chain meet, it'll take a a while for the $7 billion factory to be built and so forth. And the market and the entire landscape will change by then. Yeah, I don't don't disagree with you at all. I I think this this will play out in a way that's um, going to be very unfortunate for a lot of folks. Probably not Justin, but for, for a lot of others. Um, okay, so we've covered the EV thing. We talked a little bit about uh, energy, talked about the Oilers and hockey, but 
also briefly. Talked about the big coronation. What else are we going to talk about? Oh, I know. What? I know. Do we want to talk about the federal workers strike? Because I was down picking up my young lad from uh, his his employment, and I saw them um, vigorously circling the building, the, yeah. the federal workers, yeah, the PSAC workers. Um, but it looks like at least the PSAC piece is done. Uh, as I understand it, the CRA has now agreed to terms. But but the PSAC folks, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear they got, you know, 12.5% over three years um, because they weren't, they weren't paid nearly enough for the hard work that they do. Uh, and um, a one-time $2,500 kind of bonus bump there. Um, so I, I don't know about you, Des, but most of the folks I talk to aren't, aren't seeing those kinds of increments in their, in their day-to-day pay. No, they're not. I mean, but every time we, we come up to this uh, type of thing with, with the public serv- service workers and what have you, I mean, we're, it's the same conversation, you know, what they're asking for, what they get monetarily. It's always more than what the private sector is, is seeing and what have you. But I, I'm more concerned about um, just the setup for them to demand what they are demanding about working from home. Yeah, well, that... that Which is um, different today than it was in, in any other uh, historical uh, disputes. Y- yeah, you know what? Absolutely. I mean, th- th- this is a you know a, a topic for a, a full podcast one day, just as it relates to the changes in in you know workforce mentality, corporate culture, um, expectations and demands, all all of those things. But you know, this one, th- thankfully, um, I don't know if cooler heads prevailed because ultimately, I think it'll end up costing taxpayers you know billions to sort this out because it was effectively agreed to that there is no agreement on on work from home, that they will take it on a case-by-case basis. And, you know, they'll set up its, you know, multiple panels across the different uh, sectors um, to adjudicate this when it comes up. Well, we've got 120,000 public service employees, at least in this union. Um, And if each of the 120,000 of them or some super high majority of that number says, well, I want to work at home, then they're going to handle this des on a case by case basis, you know. You you and I have run companies with hundreds of people, and I can't imagine the the, the pain and suffering that I would go through trying to adjudicate this. But can you imagine with a hundred thousand workers, mm-hmm. who doesn't want to work from home? Raise your hand. Uh. <laughs> I know it, it's it's it, it's it's a pile on. Um, it's an absolute pile on. Obviously, there's some jobs that can can be you know, handled from a, from a home office or a, or a facility, you know, not at, at the office. There's, there's jobs that, that have to be performed on location and what have you. And, and we under, understand all that. I, I think the demand in past disputes never included uh, the home no. aspect no. because the home aspect was uh, never part of the conversation. COVID made it part of the conversation and being it a demand this round, and in, in the demand that I've read and understand it to be, I find it egregious. Okay, I'm with you. It's a good word. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, well, um, you know, I did prepare this, uh, Stu, uh, this uh, comment that uh, Mulcair, the, the uh, previous uh, leader of the NDP, who, who really puts out some, some comments here that are, he's being fair. He's uh, seeing it how it is on on both uh, Trudeau's side and and uh, Pierre Poliev's side. So let's let's play this uh, clip here, and we'll we'll talk about it after. All righty, rock and roll. 
It's unnatural for Justin Trudeau to be making that sort of very personal attack. One of Trudeau's best qualities is he rarely stoops to personal attacks. And it seems that Poiliev is starting to really get to him. Um, you can sense it in the house. Trudeau has trouble answering. He He's off cue. He's not comfortable. Poiliev is a, a real steamroller when he gets going and he pushes and he pushes and he pushes and Trudeau doesn't like it. And it's certainly the, the toughest uh, position that Trudeau's faced since he became prime minister. I, I think he's making a mistake. I, I recall Michelle Obama's admonition that uh, when they go low, you go high. Uh, Trudeau didn't even seem comfortable delivering that prepared line. He was reading it. It was a prepared speech and it didn't come off naturally. So. I, I read into it a sign of, of worry on the part of Trudeau and the Liberals with regard to, to the strength of Poiliev. With you know, he's in a room full of his partisans, and that's fine. I'm not sure the average Canadian is even comfortable with the word woke, what it's supposed to refer to, and so forth. I think that Poiliev has lots of qualities, lots of failings, and his policies do as well. Let's stay on that level and find out what he's proposing and see what the, the Trudeau Liberals have got to propose so far. I haven't been hearing very much from them. We'll see if anything else comes out of the weekend in terms of ideas. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. But I think very well said. I, I do think Polyev is, is getting to him. Like in my uh, in my limited spare time, I, I throw on question period, and, and nothing gives me more joy than watching Polyev chase him around the uh, you know around the floor. Well, you say that, and, he, and I think uh, once, maybe twice, he's actually exited. He ju- he just got up and left. Um, so he, it gets a little hot in the kitchen. Yeah. So I think Mulcair saying that he's getting to him, I think that's absolutely apparent. I, I guess the truth uh, in, in many cases here, I mean, he's hammering him on the realities of, you know, many of the things we're, we're, we're talking about. But I mean, the policy of, of this Trudeau government has, there was an opportunity. You know, there are some global events and what have you that have, have, uh, have led to, um, inflation, what have you. But the fact of the matter is, is the type of budget and the type of free money style policy just adds to the, the situation here in Canada. We, we could have been, in, in the scope of all of the OECD countries, one of the lowest on the inflation uh, side of it, if we had fiscal responsible policy and budgets and if we allowed our energy sector to flourish to where it should be today, all of the things that he has kneecapped since he's been in office could have been contributors to our budget. And you know, let me and you and I talked about this. Listen, they just delivered a budget that is massively in deficit. And let me tell you, as as much as we are in the abyss with that budget, it would be unbelievably ugly if we had no contributions from the energy sector, which ultimately, that's what this government wants. They are kneecapping our energy sector. They want to keep all fossil fuels in the ground. If they want it that way, that's one thing, but they don't mind spending the money. That budget that they they, uh, delivered there last month Mm -hmm. would be phenomenally in de- deficit if they didn't have the energy dollars that are contributing to the uh, the coffers. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, Des. And, you know, you said it earlier, and I can't remember exactly how you said it, but Trudeau is engineering, you know, our, our path to um, non-prosperity. 
mm-hmm. again, not exactly as you said it, but the only really inane part of that whole notion is that Trudeau could be an engineer. You know, it's funny though. I I, I look at the articles and you know, we, 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 we think about the liberal government and what they've done. And, and let's just focus for a moment on, on Trudeau because it's, it's easy. You know, I, I sometimes get the sense that he's impervious, you know, to, to not criticism because that seems to be endless, but it doesn't seem to have an impact on him, right? I mean, I, I just, I jotted down a little list of things here, which, you know, anybody could pull up on the internet. But, you know, since, since his election, so there's, there's the, you know, the trip to India where he, he looked like a fool, there was the whole much more serious SNC-Lavalin affair and the ultimate departure of Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould in, in, in what should have been the end of him for, for all the reasons that, that we and our listeners know. His response to COVID, um, quite candidly, you know, is, is amongst the worst in the world and, and has had, as you mentioned, dire impact on, on Canadians and our economy and our prosperity. You know, and we didn't even mention the you know the invocation of the Emergency Act, the the, the little trip in 2016 to the Bahamas to hang out at the Aga Khan's home island, man. Yeah, island, exactly. The whole notion of what's going on with with you know the Chinese government and other players and and the Trudeau Foundation, which you know now now he's got his brother going on the stand and 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 condescending Canadians, right? It's 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 maddening. Um, Chinese election interference, what's going on now with, with Chung, right? Mm-hmm. Totally lost in most of this narrative is, is the promises that he made to China as it relates to the you know, procurement and supply of vaccines in the early days, right? It, it's just insane. So I think it's four separate ethics investigations for this guy now. Is it four? Or I believe it's getting four. up to five. No, um, I, think, I think it's four. Yeah. The Chinese uh, interference is, is on top of the four, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, but Des, here, here, here's a here's a prime minister with you know I, I I've never seen this before a disapproval rating I guess I I have but a disapproval rating of fifty seven percent the fact that it's only fifty seven percent shocks me mm-hmm. absolutely you know befuddles me and if an election was called today this is the recent Ipsos you know it's got thirty three percent conservative thirty one percent liberal. You know, you factor in the margin of error, and you you effectively have a, a dead heat, which or you have insane, or, or you have a a result that looks very much like the last election, one hundred percent, right? Because uh, if you look at the uh, the overall vote across the country, uh, I think that the conservatives were two or three points ahead, ahead of, of the, in the last general, but, but didn't didn't weren't able to form government. Nope, you, you got the numbers bang on. You, you're absolutely right. The liberals were just under one third of of the total vote just under and the conservatives were just over a third and 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 effectively according to the Ipsos poll that that's exactly where we are today despite mm-hmm. that list of things that I just called out and within that list is you know there's half a dozen things that that we didn't talk about mm-hmm. so well, I don't it, know, it, brother. It, it's always slayed me how how some Canadians, uh, and by the way, going back to the the Leafs, this is this is why we've got uh, we've got a problem with the four one six here, folks. Okay. Yeah, but what what are they? I mean, honestly, what are they? And I'll say they just you know generally afraid of. Like, is it? And it was funny. I was reading another article, Des, about you know Biden saying, you know, when, when he's trying to justify his, himself as a choice, you know, don't compare me to the Almighty. Compare me to the alternative. And 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 I think that's how the liberals have have sort of made their way the last hundred years, right? By scaring Canadians that somehow the alternative 
is is horrible. Oh, absolutely. I, in contrast to that, uh, they they play up the conservative thing as as it's it's evil. We, you know, a conservative person would walk over a dead body to do whatever. You know, and it, you know, we're conservative people. We're also very very compassionate people. When we hear these things being said, it's it's nothing how we conduct our lives. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's the low-resolution thinkers out there that buy this shit. Yeah, and, and Des, you and I have chatted about it before, and, and it makes me crazy that the left doesn't view the right as um, just an alternative view. It's the wrong view. And that the right, if they're not in agreement with the left, must be racists, bigots, homophobes, and, and, and worse, right? And the reality is, that's not the case at all, at least not for all of the rights. You know, on the extremes, both left and right have oddities and, and, and you know... The or un- or ex- just the extremities. The extremities and the, and, and the unwanted. But, but the vast majority of right, whether it's fiscally or socially, you know, what's wrong with smaller governments and lower taxes? Let's just pick two. Let's just pick two variables. Those are, those are two very good ones. I mean, you know, I'm. You know, we've talked about this. I'm. I'm. Uh, I identify myself as a uh, mostly libertarian. That I'm fiscally conservative. In other words, I believe that you know, if we if we revenue a hundred dollars, we should be spending under a hundred dollars to deliver services. Today, that's radical. Yeah, it's insane. You know, when we had Dan McTeague on, you know, I, I remember asking a question: Is 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 fiscal responsibility, will it ever be in vogue again? Because we look at these budgets that are, that are, being, um, that are being tabled, and you don't have to look in Canada. You, you, you can look in the U.S., you can look in the U.K. and mm-hmm. France, and mm-hmm. you can look in all of these countries, and nobody is delivering balanced budgets. And, you know, your budget here in this home, my budget in my home and everybody that's listening, if they're not managing some kind of a balanced budget, shit will hit the fan and, uh, you know, life will be tough. These governments see none of those boundaries. No, none. Well, Des, you and I and, you know, most of the folks listening can't call their employer in a tight month and say, look, you know, I I, I need you to, you know, sort of dial back the, 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 you know, the the contributions this month because I need the dough, right? Unlike our governments who just dial up you know, the supply side or the taxes and, and keep going, right? And, and like I said, can, Canadians, I, I think a, a good swath of Canadians have run out of patience and they've run out of money. Yes. Right? And, you know, it, the, the, the first one drives, you know, in, in large part the second one. And, and you know, maybe for some Canadians it's the money that drives the patience. I, but, but honestly, I, I think... You know, the, the, the rubber's hitting the road. And and you and I have talked about this before, and we can look at the numbers on the next podcast. You know, the, the number of Canadians footing the majority of the bill is a very small percentage, right? And again, we, we can look at the numbers next time. Mm-hmm. And the number of Canadians during and post-pandemic that have chosen just not to play anymore, you know, that, that is taking a massive amount of tax revenue out of the government coffers, out of the federal, provincial, local coffers, mm-hmm. maybe less so local, of course. But there is a day of reckoning. 
I mean, the mm. bills have to be paid. Again, a, a, a conversation for another podcast, but I, I, I'd no, love it, to get an economist, an accountant on here to talk about, you know, the impact of the diminishing taxpayer. I like to talk about that uh, quite often there because I believe, you know, here in Canada, we have this made in Canada sort of social programs, right? The, there's there's things we rely on. Pretty much uh, the majority of Canadians have this... Uh, reliance on certain things to be true and you know with respect to social programs and what have you so uh, i've always thought that those so those canadian stamped programs are viable when you have more producers than takers mm-hmm. and and i think i've touched on this before on yep. a different well episode. certainly with me you have yeah. yeah and and that is great those programs are viable when you have that kind of ratio of producers and takers. What I think we're at risk of, we're either approaching or we've gone over that line where we have less producers and more takers. And that's when you have a, a problem with funding these type of programs for obvious reasons. And if that is the case, and if you have a a desire to have a balanced budget, those programs need to be retooled because they're out of balance. And and I don't think people have, do, do understand that not everybody is the same. And, and, and let me explain that. You know, the entrepreneur is, to me, is the golden goose, right? One out of, and I don't, this is not scientific, but one out of a hundred may be an entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur willing to go out there pursue the, the, the idea they have, uh, build a business, maybe fail two, three times, but get, goes back there and finds success and employs 50 or 150 or 10 or 15 people. Those are the folks that supply 70% of North America's, because the, the, the numbers in Canada and the U.S. are very similar, 70% of employment is from small business. And that small business guy, girl, whatever, is saddled with so much regulation, onion layer after onion layer of regulation, and we need to treat that person with utmost respect, set the conditions so they're, they're capable of succeeding. Uh, what we talked about a, little, you know, a few minutes before is just more policy, more regulation, more stifling. We need to set the conditions or we need a leader to set conditions to let free enterprise flourish. Why? Because they create production. They create revenue. You can tax the revenue. They employ people. Revenue or uh, uh, payroll taxes are, are, and then of course, the, the, the addition to, the, to the, uh, the economy. The conditions I feel since we've had Trudeau in office has been nothing but stifling. It's just policy after policy that is anti-business. This is something we have to change and go the other direction. And people need to have, uh, you know, we, if we do have a change, and let's say somebody like Apoliev gets in, we need to give them some opportunity to change. I don't think one term is going to be enough for somebody to unravel or rescue Canada from from what I think is an abyss. It's almost unrescuable at this point. Yeah, look, I I, I think you're absolutely right. The the 
if it is Polyev and the conservatives, and I don't know who else it would be, um, form government and have a strong mandate and can make change quickly, it is still going to take years, if not decades, to, to, to have an impact. I mean, that, that's, that's how much damage the liberal government has done in their time in power. And, and you know, just on the entrepreneurism, small business, and, you know, the liberal government's drive to push that, you know, out of Canada. And I get it. It's, it's not a conscious drive. It's, it's, it's a byproduct of all of their, to your point, Des, their, their policies, regulations, you know, and just their burdensome, you know, an overbearing approach to business. The impact is so great. And, and you know, uh, Dan talked about it when we were talking about the, the energy transition. And, you know, the liberal government, I'm going to go back on the thread that I was on, but, you know, this is an important analogy. When he talked about the transition in Alberta's oil and gas sector, when the government says, well, th- those people who will be displaced out of the oil and gas sector will have new jobs in the, in the new sector, the new energy sector. And, you know, the example he gave was, hey, looks, an engineer making one hundred dollars or $200,000 a year who was offered a job, you know, as a janitor making, no offense to the janitors in the world, but, you know, thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year, that there is an incredible impact not only to that individual, but to the economy in terms of its, its re- tax revenue source. So when you say he's pushing business and it's a business-unfriendly government, absolutely right. The impact is twofold. The, the, the reduction in good jobs, um, good high-paying jobs, and then the, re- the reduction in, in, obviously, the tax base. So uh, I, I just I want to have an accountant or an economist on who can walk us through the exact numbers and look at it um, and its impact on the revenue base. Because the other thing that's happening, Des, which you talk about all the time, is you know that there was a time that that scenario could be made up for with the energy sector. But that that's not the case right now. Well, I mean, in the end, voters out there, we have to be smart about what kind of conditions we want to set for uh, not only our social desires, but our uh, our economic desires. We've got a lot to unravel here because there's been suffocating policy over the last seven, eight years that Trudeau has been in office. And everything has been viewed under or through a lens that has nothing to do with prosperity. It all has to do with, like I said, these climate change lenses, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion lenses, rather than merit. And how do we move forward? you know, in a, in a very positive way. I mean, if you look at how we develop our and extract our resources, Canada is at the absolute tip of the spear on extraction environmentally, ethically, equity. You know, when we talk about that, you know, I'm in the industry. Mm-hmm. It's not 100% male. It is a fabulous blend of men and women in this industry. And... We've got opportunities now where, you know, I mean, we're in a situation with tremendous manpower uh, uh, restrictions, just the way way things are going. And, you know, we're having uh, newcomers to Canada that are coming into our industry and with welcome arms because we need people to show up with vigor 
and they are, and I see more room for it. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, brother. Hey, um, maybe closing on a on a good note, which will lead to a bad note, but we can cover it on the next podcast. Is and and I don't know if you saw this today, and it it'll be etched in my memory forever now because it's on my birthday. But the good news is the Director General of the World Health Organization has made it official, and um, you know, COVID's over, buddy. Yeah. So I mean, that is, I mean, that's great news. Not and, only uh, that. Uh, no, I I saw that and uh, lots of interesting comments from from some interesting people. Yep. About that, uh, but further than that, and I have not been able to look into further. But I saw the headline that the uh, w- one of the lead folks in in the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, okay, resigned. Resigned. Why yeah. does she not think it's over? Well, like I said, I haven't looked into okay. it. Okay. Uh, but no, she resigned today. And listen, she was. She was part of, um, you know, we can go on about this, about, uh, you know, even even Trudeau. You know, he's, yeah. he's rewriting his own history, saying he didn't force anybody to do anything. And sure, it, sure. Mean, meanwhile, it's one video after another of him making sure that uh, if you didn't get vaccinated, this, that, and what have you, you can't do. Yeah, no, right. uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we can we can dissect it another, yeah, and, and I know we will dissect it in an, in another podcast. But you know, for governments and 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 public health organizations or entities to pretend they didn't have total control of the populace, at least in the Western world, for the better part of two and a half years, total control is 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 frankly you know just foolish because they did. And as I've said in previous podcasts and anybody who'll listen to me sitting around a, you know, kitchen table, you know, if we ever wondered who the most compliant society on the planet was, we don't have to anymore. It's it's Canadians. Mm-hmm. You know, We're at the ha- top of the list. Happy to stay at home, happy to line up for our shots, you know, happy to make your neighbor feel like shit if they didn't or if you saw them outside and they shouldn't be. Um, it, it certainly makes me, no, I won't say it because you're just, you're going to edit it anyway. Say it, man. I might keep it in. No, I, I no, I just you know. You can certainly see how groupthink takes over, mm-hmm. and uh, how malleable uh, the Canadian populace uh, was. It was it was quite the experiment. Uh, wasn't an experiment, but uh, in the in the vein that we're talking about, it was quite the experiment. For, no, it was for man the Canadian populace, and to see how uh, how quickly they bent over, had no critical thinking skills in trying to determine. What was what? And of course, all the, and I knew, one thing I knew is that at some point in the future, first of all, this would, would blow itself over. It would, it would, it would find its way. The evolution of this, this virus would find its way and we'll be able to look back and examine, harsh word, but some of the atrocities. And one of them is the, the Emergencies Act. Yeah. And Des, I mean, if you take the WHO numbers, which, you know, everybody's using different math. and But if you take the WHO numbers, you know, you, you effectively have uh, 770 million cases, 7 million deaths. You basically have, you know, a 0.9% uh, mortality rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, don't get, don't get me wrong. I'm, I know people have jumped, jumped on me for this before, but 7 million people out of 765, 68 million um, Still a meaningful number. It's a big number. But the world shut down for two years. Mm-hmm. And you and I can 
and, and we do when we're not on air, you can break down where this 7 million sat demographically. And, and right. we'll, we'll do that next time. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. You want to end on a high note? Well, we got two things to deal with. Here. Oh, we do. Well, we, we got, got a deal. bottle of wine first. Yeah, know, yeah. We yeah. always feature a beautiful bottle of wine here from the, uh, the BC industry. I'll go get it. I just uh, popped the cork on a, a lovely bottle, a 2020 Cab Franc from our friends down at Burrowing. Oh, Island. you didn't, did you? Well, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's a special day. Yeah. Right? It, well, it's Cinco de Mayo, so I was going to get yes. tequila, but I don't know if you know this. There is no tequila grown in, um, or aguave at least, grown in, uh, in, in B.C., no, there isn't. And if, if you know your tequila facts, even a, uh, an agave plant uh, made into tequila outside of Jalisco is still not tequila. Really? Yeah. Has to be from the state of Jalisco. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, I was told that. Although my favorite book is Tequila Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. All right. So, Stu, um, Beautiful wine. You've, you've. Uh, th- this is a big favorite of uh, of mine and 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 Carol's, of course. The Cab Franc from Bur- Burring Al. Burring Al is, uh, you know, from the Beverly Hills, uh, you know, growing property in BC. It's it's uh, some of the best. And what a great great bottle of wine from a terrific uh, winery. Yeah, man, I um, love this Cab Franc. Yeah, and um, look for folks that that you know are maybe on a. a a budget, and, and you and I both know, Des, that the the BC wines, I mean, at least some of them can get a little, um, you know, a, a little out of reach for, for, for most folks. This mm-hmm. this Cab Franc is under 50 bucks mm-hmm. at the liquor store, and it's, you know, utterly delicious. It's, this is a 2020, so they say seller five plus years, but I think it's it's ready to go now. You and I both, you know, yep. touched on a few of these in the last little bit. Um, so let's um, let's give her a go. And, and to anybody who hasn't had uh, a burrowing owl, uh, and I know a lot of my friends out in, in Ontario, this is sort of their go-to BC wine. Oh, is it? And of course, we've, we've featured a lot of different wines from a lot of different vineyards. Um, but a lot of folks know Burrowing Owl, and there's there's a good reason for it. It's a it's a delicious sip. So let's uh, cheers, let's, buddy. Let's toast Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo, and oh, happy birthday, Stu. Oh, thanks, mate. What's taking us out today? Well, you know what, um, you know an- another another notable uh, situation here. This isn't just a tune from our uh, childhood that we're uh, uh, throwing out to you. It, this is a bit of a tribute. We we lost a, an absolute uh, worldwide, not just Canadian, worldwide giant in songwriting. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot passed away just a few days ago. And I don't want to pick on just one song because his body of work is magnificent. Uh, he is a songwriting giant. But this tune is one of, if you were to analyze uh, songwriting and, and so forth, this might be one that is close to perfection. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the recording of this tune, the space of this tune, um, the mu- musicianship and the, and the, the, the space. And it, not, not, many, not many recordings these days utilize space in, in music like this. And, of course, the, the lyrics are uh, staggering. If you, if you like to uh, spend a little time listening to and reading the lyrics while the song is being uh, played, we recommend it. Uh, yeah. It, it's a... It's an absolute shocker of a, of a quality tune. Yeah, man. Uh, look, um, absolutely devastating week losing a Canadian icon. You're the musician uh, in this duo, and, and and you can certainly talk to the quality of of the the songwriting. Um, 
one of my favorite uh, Gordon Lightfoot tunes, this and, and the Edmund Fitzgerald, which which I yeah. love that story. Two quick anecdotes as it relates to Gordon Lightfoot, one on this song. So I was listening to Sirius XM, and they were talking about Gordon Lightfoot, and, and Simon LeBon came on from Duran Duran. Right. Big 80s bandes, and we would like to reflect on the 80s. And, and Simon LeBon said that Save a Prayer was inspired by uh, this tune. And he said, Didn't I know li- that. I listened to it all the time as, as a kid. And he goes, I was mesmerized by, by Gordon Lightfoot and, the, and this song. Um, the second thing, which I think is, is high praise, and most Canadians have read it this week, is just how much Bob Dylan respected and loved Gordon Lightfoot. And uh, I think one of his quotes, which I'm looking at here, uh, you know, he said, every time I listen to a Gordon Lightfoot song, I wished it would last forever. Forever. I, I read that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, high praise from one of the, you know, the greatest songwriters of, you know, any generation. So, yeah. um, all right, man. Well, with that, uh, it was good seeing you, you this week. You bet. Um, Always good to see you, and r- real happy birthday. We're now, uh, nice, the pair of us are 57, and, you know, it, it sounds like uh, we were successful in uh, in getting our small group of uh, guys that we all grew up with since the, uh, before the fir- fir- first grade. Yeah, man, well, celebrating our, our 50th year as, as, as friends. friends. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty incredible milestone. And we, so, where are we heading? We're going on a golf trip. I think we're going to go, we're going to try, try to do Arizona, right, or, or yeah. somewhere hot in, in September. So, um, Dino and Paul, you've signed on, so there's no backing out now. Yeah. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. And in the uh, spirit of Simon LeBon, her name was Rio, and she dances on the sand. Oh, Nice. All right, folks. Take you out with Gordon Lightfoot. If you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. Just like an old time movie about a ghost from a wishing well in a castle dark. Or a fortress strong With chains upon my feet You know that ghost is me And I will never be set free As long as I'm a ghost You can't see If I could read your mind, love What a tale your thoughts could tell Just like a paperback novel The kind the drugstore sells When you reach the part Where the heartaches come The hero would be me Heroes often fail And you won't read that book again Because the
Just can't. 